It's Tris Whitman. Good effort. Oh, it's in. Now then, hello and uh, happy new season. And uh, boy, does it feel good to have gotten shot of the last one. Um, welcome to Podular Stand, the podcast spin-off of Doncaster Rose fanzine Popular Stand. My name is Glenn Wilson, editor of the fanzine and, and also host, um, such as it is, of this podcast. Um, this is episode 24 for those who are, are counting, which means just six years after we uh, first recorded one of these, we've, we've finally made it to the end of the difficult second dozen. Um, in this episode, as it's the start of a new Rovers season, we'll, we'll mainly be looking ahead to 2022-23 and, and trying to determine what it might bring for our football club um, and also later in this episode um, I'll be catching up with with Jack Pete, fanzine contributor and, and author of The Great Pirate Vault to look at how you can make the most of uh, of some upcoming Rovers away games. Um, but yeah we start with uh, with an in-depth look at the, the closed season, at Rovers new signings at the opening day and, and also what might lie ahead and for this I was joined in the days between the Bradford and the Sutton games by Adam Stubbins and making his podcast debut, Mike Follows. So joining me then to talk about Rovers' season ahead and the very little bit of it that's already started is uh, Adam Stubbins from uh, Into the Empty Net. Hiya, good to be here again, Glenn. Nice to be on. Cheers, Mike. Thanks for joining us. And also joining us for the for the first time is long-term fanzine contributor. Many of you will perhaps recognise his voice at a, a louder pitch, uh, trying to get you to buy fanzines from outside the Keep Mate Stadium a few years back. It's, uh, it's Mike Follows. Mike, good to have you. Hi, great to be on. Cheers, Mike. Well, good to speak to you both. So this is a, a season preview flight. Well, I did sort of hint on the fact that we have kind of started a bit and we'll come to we'll come to the first game of the season and, and that's slowly. But I just thought to start with, I think, obviously... Across the summer, Rovers have made a, num- a good number of recruits. I think it, I've lost track, actually. It was nine was the number I was going with. I think we've signed two more since it was nine. In um, Jack Degushi and, uh, and the other young lad who's joined this last week. So I think initially I just wanted to get your, your thoughts on the players Rovers have brought in. And, and, and do you think that Rovers have recruited well? For the for the season ahead in League League Two, Matt, I'm going to start with you purely because Adam's drinking. Well, that's a question. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I can't remember the last time we uh, we brought in so many players and 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 quite a few of those early on in the transfer window. Uh, I think you know, we went about uh, a lot of our business early on, which was encouraging to see. You know, contrast that to last season where we we got players on trial who who didn't really want to play games for us in case they got injured, and and we we were scraping around at the last minute with the likes of uh, you know. Uh, Barlow and uh, and one or two others, but yeah, we did, did a lot of business early on. I think uh, uh, in terms of the season ahead, yes, we've we've recruited fairly strongly, but I think a lot of the uh, the recruitment we've done has been with with an eye on the the next two or three years beyond that as well. When you look at some of the players we brought in, you mentioned uh, you mentioned Degrushi. Um <clears throat> we've given Kalea a contract after releasing him at the end of his his sort of youth uh, youth phase, but he's, he's sort of proven himself and and, and got that one. Um, with well, a decent mix of experience as well, so you know I think the the, the one that stands out for me is uh, it's a massive cue to get uh, someone else's player of the season who's who's won, won a clean sweep of awards at, at this level last week uh, last year in uh, in Molyneux. So yeah, he won players' player of the season, fans' player of the season, goal of the season. You know, he, he was very highly rated by Hartlepool, and and to to go to someone at your level and and take that player off them, I think it's it's a massive sign of intent. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a that's a good point. I think when we, yeah, we haven't really. It feels like the first time we've really sort of thought about where we are as a club, both in terms of you know where, where we are off the back of the last few seasons, but where we are sort of divisional hierarchy. 
and and how we recruit for that. And I think you're right in in highlighting Luke Molyneux as as it's a signing that is. I suppose it's always it's always muted, isn't it? The idea that signings should be ambitious, and you always kind of feel that ambition there is being used as a byword for should cost us a lot of money. Um, but I think what you're right with Molyneux is it shows that bit of ambition, doesn't it? In that this is a player that excelled at this level last season for his club. This is the kind of player we want to bring in. Yeah, absolutely. I think you know you always need to be signing you know, some of the, the best players from the league below, or, or or you know players who've proven themselves in the league you're in, and, and he's one of the best players in the league you're in. And we've gone and got him, so uh, yeah, great signing. Um, what are your thoughts, Adam? You, you've I know you've looked across the players, and I know you've seen Rovers in pre pre season. Um, do you think Rovers have sort of covered pretty much the areas they need to cover with with the signings over the summer? By and large, yes. I think there's, you know, I think the balance of the squad looks a lot, a lot better. Looks a lot. Um, I, it's like the profile of player as well. I mean, I think that's kind of been Coppinger's stamp on it, presumably. And I, th- I think the profile of player we're bringing, you know, like Mike said, looking ahead at the next couple of seasons, a lot of younger players, but not young players who've never played a game, not many of them anyway, and kind of players who you'd hope would be able to develop, who can grow with us and, and become, you know, better players than they are now, and then. If, if the time comes to sell some of those players, um, we could get a decent amount of money for him and a decent sell-on and all that kind of thing. So um, I think the profile of player has been good. I think the squad's fairly well balanced. I think there's a couple of areas that um, maybe could have done me a bit more attention, but you've only got so much money and so much squad space to to play around with. So in, in terms of, you know, chucking all that together, I think Coppinger, McSheffrey and whoever else were involved have done a decent job with that. Molyneux is obviously probably the headline signing. Um, George Miller, uh, you know, he had a really good pre-season and, and looks like the kind of striker that we were really crying out for last year. Um, so, yeah, I, if, if someone said to me, sum it up in a sentence, I'd say it was a good window, not great. But, um, you know, I mean, compared to what we've had for the last couple of summers, I, I think we can be pretty pleased and and at least set up now to compete in League Two, which is the bare minimum I think we need to be doing. I think, yeah, I think one of the key things there, and it's something you touched on really, is that, yes, there are maybe a couple of areas in the squad where we could do with a bit more strength in in depth. I think when we did the, the obviously the, the late, the first edition of the season of the fanzine that's out soon, when I put that question to the fan, the fan panel, a lot of people highlighted uh, left back as an area where obviously we've brought in Maxwell, but beyond him, you're looking at, shoehorning Tommy Rowan or shoehorning someone else in there. But what what I think is strong is that the difference between this season and perhaps the previous two, three, off the top of my head, is that we're in a position where we are strengthening a squad with lone players. We've only got one lone player at the moment in in the squad, whereas you think, think to where we were last season, a lot of the key players were lone players. And I think that that is a that to me feels like a big stride forward. Oh yeah, completely. I mean, I think we'll probably end up with a couple more lone players, probably, and that's to be fair, probably only down to injuries. And um, but you're you're exactly right. Lone players, especially as most of them are, you know, younger players who are, you know, from higher clubs who are just starting out in football. They're they're the players you need to kind of top off the squad, put the icing on top, and kind of add a bit of flair or a bit of depth. Um, and I think that's what we'll end up doing, especially if like the the players that have been injured at the start of the season continue to be the case. Um I, you know, I was I was kind of looking at the squad in a bit of a squad depth chart sort of way before before we we came on tonight. And I think other than maybe central midfield and probably cover it right back, I don't think we need to to add anything else. Um again, it does depend on how long certain players are out, players like Taylor and and Ben Close, especially. I think apart from that creative sort of extra sort of player to play in front of the midfield and behind the strikers. We're probably all right. So it is nice to see that change in policy. We've handed out a lot of permanent contracts this summer, a lot of them on two-year deals or longer. That is good. You know, as long as these players, at least enough of them, prove capable and, and good enough to to be in the side and and contribute well throughout the year and hopefully throughout the coming years, then it's it's a good it's a good starting point for Coppinger and, and this new kind of recruitment approach that we're going for. And I think, you know, to say where we were at the end of May end of April, end of May, then uh, I think we've come a long way with that already. And bearing in mind, it's only the first window of, of what's probably a three, four, five window sort of project, then, yeah, I think we can be pleased with that. Yeah, and yeah, I, th- I think we we sort of set a stall out last year saying we, we'd become over-reliance on loan players who wanted players contracted to the club. But then the, the upshot of that was we were, we were bringing in 
players who we could get on a contract rather than looking for the right players to get contracted to the club uh, and, and, and you know who could play the system and and, uh, and be part of the, the long-term plan. I mean, if we end up going down the sort of Peterborough-Brentford sort of route where yeah, you're bringing in promising young players, developing them for a year or two, selling them on at profit, as long as we're, we're investing some of that back gradually more and more each time to, to up the quality season after season, then, you know, I, I think that's that's a really great sustainable way that, that's been proven by by other clubs to to work. Um, obviously, it's always a little bit of a gamble that, you know, someone's not going to fulfil their potential or, or what have you. But, yeah, I think, uh, I think we've also got a bit of decent balance in there with uh, with a few more experienced players. I mean, Biggins is, is, is experienced. Um, uh, and uh, another area that sort of through the close season, a few people had, had sort of talked talk to me about was uh, was goalkeeper. Um you know, we've got Lewis Jones, who, who's uh, he's he's not a kid anymore, but he yeah he, he probably needs to get out on loan somewhere for a season where he's he's gonna get a lot of games under his belt, which leaves us with only only Mitchell and and there were there were certainly question marks about him, but I think where we have strengthened is uh, is bringing in uh, uh, Ian Bennett, um, a really well respected coach, uh, and if uh, if Saturday's performances anything to go by at uh, at Bradford. Um, yeah, Mitchell claimed absolutely everything that went into the box. Uh, one of the big questions going into that game was, is he susceptible to high balls? And and you know the answer to that was a resounding no, he's not. He, he cleaned everything up on Saturday. I think that the thing with goalkeepers is that, and, and it, you know, I've played in goal in the past, obviously at a, a slightly lower level. I'm not going to lie, but the the thing with goalkeepers is they need a run. They need a run of games, a bit, of, you know, to to find their worth. And you and you're right in saying I think Jones. I say you're right. I'm again, whether we're right or not, I'm agreeing with you. He's saying with Jones in that he probably needs a a spell somewhere to get some games under his belt. And I think Mitchell, I think he's only going to get stronger the longer he has a run in the team. And what I think one of the problems we've had with the goalkeeper position for years now. We haven't had a regular number one, have we, for a for a long time? Um, you know, obviously you go Warrington, Sullivan, and then well, I think Stockman had a season. And other than that, it's been a loan for half a season, a different loan for half a season. So there's been nothing there to build it. And I think there's absolutely for all the people saying, "Oh, Mitchell, he falls short in this area, or he falls short in this area." We need to give a keeper a run. To actually determine and let them grow and let them strength get you know get stronger in the position. It's it's a you don't want to hide into nothing as a keeper. And I think you want to hide into nothing even more as a goalkeeper for Doncaster Rovers because I just feel like people are just waiting for you to to do something that justifies the view that you're not good enough. Yeah, and what's encouraging is uh, we've got out this level with Gary Woods in goal previously. So uh, you know if, if we can do that, then uh, I'm not too worried about uh, about Jonathan Mitchell. Um, I mean, we looking at staying with the squad. Then I think one of the other things that, on top of the new recruitments, um, and we've touched on some, if not, I mean, there's not been a chance time to touch on all of them. There's been so many, um, but they do generally follow the path, like you've said, of like you both said, of having a bit of promise, a bit about them, but a bit of youth on their side as well. I think what struck me watching. Rovers in pre-season the game managed to get to was that what we've effectively got as well as the new signings is two or three players that are like new signings because they're they've finally got a pre-season with the club under the belt and they and they're bringing a bit more to us and I, I think particularly Adam Clayton fits that bell I think uh, Joseph Lowe definitely fits that fits that bill I think he's a great player anyway um, so I mean who. What it got me thinking, you know, for me, thinking about who will be Rovers' key players, I think there's a lot of talent and a lot of potential. But I almost feel that the, the key players to Rovers this season will be if Alowu and Williams can establish themselves as a, a solid centre-half pair, which I think they have the potential to, but last season didn't have the room or the space to, if that makes or the time to. And I think Clayton, I think we all thought that at the end of last season, Clayton could be like, but I just wondered for you, is there... Are there players that you think, whether they're new or they've been with us a while, that are really going to be the key players for Rovers this season? Adam, do you want to go go first on that? Yeah, I mean, I think I'd always say Clayton for this answer. It's obviously every player is a caveat of if they fit, but I think, you know, key players who are going to play 35, 40 games in league, you look at the spine of a team, um, Mitchell could well be one of those. I mean, it was a good start this past weekend at Bradford, you know. I mean, he, he did really well. I don't think he was 
tested for shot stopping greatly because Bradford were pretty poor in front of goal. But in terms of game management, uh, aerial balls, set pieces and stuff, he was spot on really. And, and you know, that's all you can really ask, I think, from a goalkeeper, certainly at this level. So if, if Mitchell's there and capable of being consistent, if Clayton can play 35, 40 games in midfield, leading the team, I, I think that'll make a big difference. Centre-half is a really strange one for us. We've got a bit of an embarrassment of, of riches, so to speak. We've got four or five First team caliber centre halves who can all very easily come in and play play that amount of games this season if if need be. Obviously Anderson's got the the foot issue or the feet issue. I mean he seems to have multiple issues with it, but he came on. He looked okay on on Saturday when he came on. And whether it's him and Williams, Alowu and Williams, Alowu and Long, Anderson and Long, you know, not to forget Ollie Younger as well if he's if he's fit. Um, that is encouraging because I think one of the big things that we've struggled with the last few years as well as not having a, a regular keeper. He's not having a regular back four and a centre-half pairing that you can you can hang your hat on. I mean, when was the last time we really had that as well? Probably, I mean, obviously, it's easy to say Jones and McComb. Um, obviously, you know, you're not always going to get a pair like those two uh, absolute warriors, you know, massive lads who, who would just add and kick everything away. But if you can find a consistent pair of players, and we've got the options now, hopefully, you know, fitness depending then that will really help. So, I mean, if I'm looking at it pragmatically and naming the goalkeeper, the centre-halves and the holding midfielder, but we need that stability, we need that solidity. I think it's a part of the game that Gary McSheffrey wants to focus on looking at how we've played in pre-season and kind of his comments around some of those performances and set-ups and certainly his post-match comments against Bradford, the the lack of uh, an 11th player there, obviously, colouring it. But um, that, to me, is where the key players are going to be. Um, strikers have runs without goals for five, six games. You know, wingers have runs where they're not really in the game. You know, I'm sure Molyneux will, will delight us and, and frustrate us in equal measure with that. They, they tend to, those sorts of creative players. So for me, spine of the team, solid base. And and I'm hoping Clayton, Mitchell, Anderson, if I'm being hopeful. And and yeah, Lowe definitely um, will, will, will contribute to that big time. How about yourself, Mike? Who for you do you think? Is... Yeah, I mean, I, I think Adam's covered a, a lot of the uh, a lot of the core there. Um, yeah, I think one of the things we, we had to do after after some of the the uh, capitulations last season was make ourselves hard to beat initially. Um, and if we learned anything from from Saturday, it's that, that you know we're resolute and and, and we're, we look solid. Um, yeah, we've got we have got that embarrassment to riches at centre half. Um, you know, and and one of the key players in in the preseason games I went to, an absolute standout player was was young Bobby Faulkner. And, and you know, we, we've named half a dozen centre halves there, and his name's not even come into it. So uh, you know, we, we've got we've got a, a lot of gophers there. Um, but I I like to see. Exciting attacking football as well, and and hopefully, uh, particularly at home, we'll we'll see a bit of that. And and the two players I've, I've called out there, um, uh, are um, Miller and Molyneux. Um, you know, I think yes, we need to be hard to beat. We need to keep clean sheets, but you, you know, you've got to go score more goals in the opposition as well. And 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 those two look really exciting and uh, and consistent in pre season. Um, you can't write off Tommy Rowe. You know, he's he's, he's a born leader and he's passionate and he'll get out there and he's got quality as well. And then the other player who prior to Saturday, I'd say you want someone with that little bit of brilliance to turn a game and a bit of skill and a bit of flair. Um, but he's, he's hardly let himself down. Um, he's, he's Mr. Tomlin. So yeah, I'm sure harsh words have been necessarily had with him behind the scenes. It, if you can get his head right, his feet are fine, you know, yeah. um, but the, the, there's work to do with that lad. Yeah, the thing with Tomlin. So I went to the um, FC United preseason friendly, um, and I'm stood there with a with a, with a good mate who's been a Rovers fan for years. Matt, who used to run the, the Donny Arsonists, and we stood watching uh, Rovers, and I, we looked good, and we were moving. And obviously, it's preseason friendly, and we're playing a lower team and all that. But I was impressed by how Rovers were moving the ball, and how Rovers were moving the ball forward smoothly. I remember what I said to Matt was because it was something that struck me when I watched Rovers at Fleetwood last season. We just lacked any sort of intelligence about what we were trying to do in the situation. I said, watching us at FC United, you know, I'm saying to Matt, so we just look like we've we found that bit more football intelligence, football in now. And it's players like Tomlin that are going to bring it for us. And fast forward one week and, you know, 44 minutes into the season, you, you wait and you hope and you dream all summer. And then 44 minutes in, you're a meme. 
Um, yeah. Thanks. Yeah. To... But, uh, yeah, <laughs> thanks to that point, I, I won't have to spend any more. And um, yeah, we know Tom is not the, the fittest or the quickest player around, but uh, he, he won a penalty up there by getting somehow 15 yards behind their defence, but still being onside when it was played, just through his intelligence and his nous and his movement. Um, but then he shows a complete lack of intelligence when someone goes and stands on his foot and, and, and he falls for it and, and throws himself on the floor. So, uh, yeah, I think if there's a silver lining to this, it's that we've got someone who's a bit of an expert in in mindset in James Coppinger and he needs a project to to, to work on and he couldn't ask for a better project right now than, than Lee Tomlin. I think... Um... Yeah, it was it was striking when that happened at Bradford on on Saturday. You know, obviously the speed with which it it went around the internet and what have you, and obviously that's because it's first Saturday of the season and banter accounts are going to banter account. But um, part of the, the the upshot was fans who had seen him at previous clubs, and I'm I'm in touch with a lot of Cardiff fans. I know Bristol City fans as well, and they're like, oh, typically Tom, he's got you know he he's, he can end up doing that and. It felt like in the talk pre-season was that we we were a club where he would, you know, settle, relax, and and like you said, Mike, watching him pre-season suggested that. And I think I think you're right in that it's important that we don't all now write him off off the back of that, you know, five seconds of daftness at, at Valley Parade, and uh, because he he can still be a very crucial and keen. And valuable part to how Roy was played. I think someone, I can't believe it was, it might have been one of you two actually, it might have been you, Adam, but, but I apologize if it wasn't. But someone compared him to um, potentially doing for us what um, Wes uh, Houlihan, Houlihan, I always get Wes Houlihan confused with the day to day character, Peter O'Hanrahan. <laughs> uh, but it is O'Hulahan, isn't it? Um, it is. Yeah, there's a, there's a Cambridge fan uh, in my office. Uh, I, I was chatting to, uh, and and he made that comparison when I said we signed Tomlin. And yeah, I think he he played half the games last season for Cambridge, and and, and had a massive impact because that sort of player with that experience and that talent at yeah. this level, you know, can, can can really unlock things for you. And, and I think you're right. We we don't want to write Tomlin off on the back of yeah you what know, one bit of madness uh, because he, he can still. Winners a lot of points or gets in some some really promising positions through uh, the you know the, the touch and the skill that he's got. Um, uh, and I guess it, it's always that flawed genius, isn't it? You know, the you, you don't, don't want to take it all out of the game because you know that's who they are and that's what what makes them the players they are. But it's just how you how you manage that and how you get them to manage it on the pitch while uh, while still coming up with the flair and the creativity that you sign that sort of player for. Yeah, what, what do you make of Tomlin, Adam? You you saw him obviously preseason, and you were there Saturday as well. Yeah, I mean, I saw him in the Spenny Moore game as well, and it was it was the way that he linked the, the play, I suppose, as well. I mean, the way he won the penalty, never mind him just getting in behind the defence. It was only a National North team, but still, but the way that he positioned himself to get fouled by the goalkeeper, those sorts of players who can do that, they're always experienced, and they are often a bit of a wild card. And he's he's clearly a wild card, isn't he? I mean, you know, I was at Bradford on Saturday, and the atmosphere from the moment that that Ravenhill tackle went in was purely toxic. And I think maybe Tomlin, he's a bit of a character. He's one of those players, and he was obviously trying to trying to you know do some gamesmanship and slow the play down before half time. He went too far. He lost his head a bit, and you know it could have cost us. If he keeps that stuff to a minimum, great, because there's good stuff he'll do will be great. We only really made one good chance on Saturday from open play and he made it um, for Miller um, in the first half. So if he can bring that to the team, I think it's an area that we are lacking since Josh Martin's gone now. Um, we are going to have to take the rough with the smooth a bit with him. As long as the, the smooth outweighs the rough, great. I wasn't massive on the signing, but obviously he's a trialist who's coming on probably not, not a massive wage. I don't know anything for certain, but I don't think he's on a, a huge wage and it's a chance for him to kind of have one last run, isn't it? Um, and if we can get something out of him for 25 to 30 games this season, because I don't expect him to play every week, even when he's not suspended, um, then it's probably going to be worth it. If if there's games where he makes the crucial pass or gets the goal or makes that difference, we're probably going to make more points than we lost. In the end, we probably didn't lose any points on Saturday from what he did, which is fortunate slash, you know, credit to the, the team that was still on the pitch. But, um, yeah, as long as we don't see it again, because if, if he does it again in a month and you ask me after that what my thoughts are on him, they're probably <laughs> going to be quite different. So I'll get the uh, the swear filter bleep button ready <laughs> for, uh, for the next issue if that happens. Um, yeah, so, I mean, we've kind of 
roundabout come to come to the opening game of this season and, and Rovers draw at Bradford. Um, it's one game. It's one competitive match. And as we've discussed, it's one competitive match where we've been at a disadvantage for 45 minutes of it um, because we've been a man down. So, can, I mean, can it can that match teach us anything about this current Rovers side and, and the season ahead or, or differences between this season and last season? Um, yeah, Adam, what do you think? You, I know you wrote it up for us for the, for the fanzine. Um, website uh, match report. I mean, there's there's stuff you can take out of there. But is it? Are we getting too excited? Or are we playing things down? It's hard, it's so hard to tell, isn't it? Yeah, it is hard to tell. That's certainly that kind of game. I think it was a bit of a one-off. Not even just us playing half it with ten men. It was the biggest crowd we're probably going to have all season. If I definitely the biggest crowd we're going to have all season. It was that kind of derby atmosphere. There was quite a lot of tension in the air after everything that happened at the start. As I said in in, in the match report for, for the website, um, I think what we learned on Saturday about our chances this season is that we can be a bit more resilient, hopefully can have a bit more nous about us. The game management was excellent. Um, Mitchell, for, for one, um, players like Andrews, you know, holding it up and winning corners in, in, in the corner, up the other end of the pitch. That is something that we just were not capable of last season. We've not been capable of it for a while, for a couple of managers, really, um, 10 years. And we, we've been very naive as a team, very much rolled over by a lot of clubs. And I, I did say I turned to Abby at, at half-time and said, we're going to get beat 4-0 now. I said, it'll be 3 or 4-0 this. You, you know how second half will go. And the second half was dominated by Bradford. It just wasn't... Um, it just wasn't the the, the scoreline that I think maybe I had predicted and expected. But I think we learned that the, the team maybe has a bit more about them intelligence-wise in the game bit more resilience and certainly something that to be fair I didn't think of at the time but I read afterwards someone pointed out and it's true fitness fitness levels and 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 that we kept going for the whole 90 minutes um and last season that was very rare that was maybe one of the biggest fundamental issues we had from the start of last season was the players were just not fit enough to get through tough league games for 90 minutes Saturday Tuesday we haven't seen obviously the Saturday Tuesday element of that yet this year but it looked good it looked promising the players were not were not you know running on empty by the end a lot of them looked up for it and able to keep going and keep battling. And um, we've maybe learned something about the character of the team and and all of that rather than our actual qualities or, you know, our ceiling is maybe not known, but maybe our floor is a little higher than it was last season. It certainly needs to be, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd echo some of that. I mean, you, resilience is, is the one word that I sort of uh, noted down and, and, and desire, um, you know, and, and I think... As Glenn mentioned, some of the players we brought in last season didn't have a pre-season, uh, and that's when you know they, they get beasted physically and, and get up to get up to speed. And if you don't have a pre-season, you're never going to catch up in a season, and uh, and that really showed on Saturday. Um, you know the the discipline of the the ten players on the pitch to to sort of hold out and be firm and and not get dragged out of shape. Uh, I think that was that was something last season again where we'd gone to pieces uh, and just having that. That rigor uh, about the team, you know, is, is really encouraging to see. It's one game, yeah. If Bradford finish in the bottom three at the end of the season, they will say it was a crap result. Yeah, if, if Bradford win the league at a canter, then it's a massive point on the road. So, who knows at this stage? But yeah, you've got to take what what you can out of out of the game that you see, and and I think uh, yeah, the, the way we we held together, united as a team, and 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 ground out that result. Um, the, Away in front of a huge crowd, um, after all the, uh, uh, the the sort of hard tackles and things at the start of the game, the, and the terrible injury, which uh, you know I'll, I'll not dwell on that. I think it was it was one of those terrible accidents. No, no malice, but you know that that heats up the atmosphere and the, and the red card. But then to come back in the second half and and, and put in the performance that we did just shows we've got that metal this season that, that we, were, we were lacking last time out. So, uh, um, you know, it's, it's given us a really strong base to build from. Um, uh, hopefully, as we're going to a, a home game on Saturday, uh, uh, I say we can we can make ourselves hard to beat, but then go up the other end and uh, and turn the screw. Yeah, the thing there about, um, about having that sort of metal that we didn't have last season, I think you mentioned, Adam, obviously, when we went at half-time with the man down, the, the fear was this is going to be it's going to be more than a defeat. It's going to be a heavy defeat. And I'd, I'd be surprised if there is a Rovers fan out there who didn't think that at half-time on, on Saturday. Um, and it kind of draws me into something that 
it's something I've touched on in the editorial of the first fanzine of the season, which I appreciate you guys haven't haven't seen yet. And I know it's something that, but it's something that you also touched on in in the piece you wrote for um, for Into the Empty Net in a sort of season preview, which is the difficulty of or the, or the challenge of for Rovers getting away from a losing mentality because. Yes, we've brought in a lot of new players, which is great. And we've kept players that I think are good footballers. But those good footballers have got very little experience of winning matches in a Doncaster Rovers shirt. So I think getting a result, okay, it wasn't a win, but I think getting a result from the circumstance on Saturday, on top of, you know, an an unbeaten pre-season, let's check then, it was unbeaten, yeah, an unbeaten pre-season... I know we don't need much into results season, but in this case, it is a thing. Um, it's got to give those players a bit of confidence, hasn't it? That, that they can actually do things with this team, you would hope. Yeah, mentality, isn't it? Um, I, I, th- I think the club has, I think I've referred to it as a bit of a losing culture, didn't I? And that's what it's been. We've I can't remember the exact stat, but we've lost so many games in the last 18 months compared to um, winning and, and obviously rightly got relegated last season. These players, some of them, started the professional careers playing regularly last summer. You know, players like Joel Owu did very well last season for, for what you were asked to do. Players like that who just don't know what winning games is like. Seven or eight wins last year. Um, grinding out results was something that I think we did maybe three times um, under Gary McSheffrey last season. And, you know, that is going to take some time. But winning's a habit. And, you know, I think... They've, they've got to believe in themselves as footballers that they've got some capabilities. I don't look around the squad now, and I did last season, but I don't now and think, well, some of these players are really, really rubbish players. I don't think that at all. I, you know, I got, I said, someone else on another podcast said to me, oh, are these good players that you've got? You know, because I'd said, well, we've got some good players. I said, are they good players? And I said, well, yeah, I, th- I think so. I've seen them enough. And, you know, everyone has different opinions, but I don't look around our squad and think this is a NAF League two also ran bunch of bunch of players not even slightly so yes shifting the losing culture is difficult but as long as they train well are coached well and was certainly beefed up that area of the club this summer and and then get some of these results like Saturday if they start putting you know a couple of wins away maybe at home maybe one or two away even if it's against teams that you you know air quotes should be um you know, people will say that about Sutton this weekend and Sutton are a good side and I think it will be tough. But if you can get a comfortable win against a team like Sutton or a team like Salford in a couple of weeks when they come down, that's going to do wonders. And I think they'll soon forget what it was like last season, getting beat nearly every week and not being able to close out matches and, and all of that stuff that comes with it. I'm not, I'm not, you know, a, a sports psychologist or anything like that, but surely at this level, you don't need to, um, you don't need to move mountains to make big changes like that and and make the team look very different at its core. I don't think so anyway. I might be wrong. But um, to me, getting a couple of wins, getting a couple of big results and feeling unified like they must have done on Saturday after all of that with Ravenhill and with Tomlin and all, all the rest of it, that will go a long way. And then they'll come into to training on, you know, on the Monday after the game, so to speak, at County Park and go, hey, you know what? We've actually got something here, guys. And, and we all can come together and make something happen. And if the fans get behind him and the fans feel they can get behind him and the manager's backing them, hopefully it's happy days and hopefully we're, we're, we're on for something this year. But um, time time will only tell on that when it's easy to say all that in August, isn't it, sadly? Yeah. I mean, to be fair, I stopped listening after you said you've been on another podcast because I'm still reeling from that. <laughs> there are no other podcasts, are there? I know. What's he talking about? Has <laughs> the, the free press started up again? Oh, no. I don't think I've been invited on that one, to be fair. Don't cast. So, beyond, I mean, we've we've seen one game. We've talked about one game. And we've started to think about, you know, the mentality of the team and things like that. I mean, what was interesting to me in thinking is, one, what can Rovers do this season, realistically? And then like a second prong to that is, is what would actually constitute a successful season for Rovers this, this year? Would it be, is it purely about finishing high up, getting promotion? Or could we not be in promotion, not be in the playoffs, but have reconnected with, with the fan base a bit? And could that be considered a success? I mean, I don't know. But, but first off, I mean, Mike, what, what do you think? And I, and I realise I'm throwing you under the bus here because we've played one game and a few friendlies. <laughs> but but what do you, don't worry, I won't hold you to this. I haven't all forgotten about this since we've been May. 
Yeah, I mean, obviously, yeah, the, there's a school of thought that says, you know, football is results business, and it's all about, you know, if you if you grind out hard fought nil nils away from home, and you win every home game one nil, and you and you go up on the back of that, great, um, uh, and to a degree, yeah, that's success. Um, but I think you just touched on something, and, and in in my last article in in, in the fanzine last season, I, I sort of touched on this and said that I felt that, you know. Whether the club didn't get me anymore, or I didn't get the club anymore. I felt we'd sort of grown apart, and not just because of results, but you know, uh, sort of schisms in the fan base and uh, uh, and the expectation levels and, and and things like that. Where you've got people, I'm in my forties, and I grew up at a time when you know we're, we're in the fourth fourth division every season, and you know if we had a good start to the season, we knew that we would sell the players who got us there, and and we'd end up in the in, in the bottom half. Whereas you've got people who, who've grown up for the last. 15, 20 years have seen you know success on success and then they they expect that and, and start getting a bit eggy when it's when it's not happening and and it just it all just didn't feel like the rovers anymore to me. And then throughout the pre-season, um not just because of the players we've signed, we've not spent loads of cash and things like that, but they, they seem to have reconnected to a degree, like you say. And and it it I think Looking at when uh, when Sean O'Driscoll first came to the club and, and some of the things you could see they were trying to achieve on the pitch, it wasn't necessarily clicking, but you, you could see what we were doing and that we, we had the right attitude, we were going about it the right way and developing players and, and all that kind of thing. And and that, to me, would, would be a successful season if we could show the, the green shoots of, of something that will work in the longer term. Um, I mean, can we win promotion? Yeah, we can win promotion. I'd, I'd, I'd be delighted with that. You know, if you go up through through the playoffs or automatically or whatever, you know, fantastic. Um, should be should be in the top ten. Um, but yeah, I, I think as long as we see some of that that development, like I say, and and, and some of that reconnection with the fans, and uh, um, yeah, that that's got to be a good sign. Um, all that said, yeah, we're all. Football fans are fickle to a degree, and I'm glad he said he won't hold me to it. Because if we're in the bottom half at Christmas, then I'll, I'll probably live it. So. Right, don't worry. I, I, I've said this before, and I think I even say it in the latest issue of the fanzine. I am the person who's made probably the worst prediction with Rovers, where we came out of South End the other season. Me and James McMahon really buoyed after a three 0 win, going, oh, "We're playoff bound, playoff bound," and we didn't win a single match for 17 games. So <laughs> I've already set a low benchmark for fanzine predictions. Don't worry. Um, what do you think, Adam? Do you think we can? Is it is it about results on the pitch? I mean, what have, what have we got the potential to do first, and then, you know, where where do what do we consider a success beyond that? Yeah, I mean, well, potential. The sky's the limit, surely. I mean, I think there are some really good teams being put together in this division. But Bradford were one of pre-season favourites. We saw a lot of decent players in their side on Saturday. No end product whatsoever. So. Every team that's fancied is 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 going to have those flaws about them because that's what I try and remind myself and look at our team and I think oh, have we have we quite got a striker who'll score enough have we quite got enough creativity in the team etc. Stockport for instance everyone were raving about Stockport they seem to be signing everybody that everyone at this level wanted and they got turned over on on Saturday really by Barrow who, who were a bottom six team last season so hope's possible it is tricky at this stage of the season I think the potential for us is automatic promotion. Um, that's keeping you know most of the first eleven fit and and hoping that things like we've talked about, like the unity and the mentality and stuff, it's hoping those things do come good. But I think we can get automatically promoted um, personally. Um, whether we do or not is another thing. But in terms of what will constitute a success for us this season, I think Mike's bang on. I think you know healing some of those uh, those fractures because it's been so toxic and fractured, hasn't it, for a while now, and that's on the pitch and off. No, no real coherent um, plan going forward on the field, in the backroom staff. The fans have all been at each other's throats figuratively, and I don't know about literally, but figuratively over last year. I'm, I'm seeing good signs on that front. Um, the way that some of the players, like Alowu especially, and Clayton, were you know interacting with the crowd on Saturday before and during the game and after, um, that really, really encouraged me. We'll far cry from start of last season when. Wellens were having a go at his players, rightly, I suppose, for um, not not coming over to fans after a defeat and stuff like that. You just can't. That's not even a thing you think think twice about if you're a, uh, you know, connected to your fan base and stuff like that. You'd have never seen the John Marquis, um, Matty Blair era side ever not come over to to fans, whether we won four 0 or lost four 0 So, um, 
what constitutes success this season off the field and and all encompassing conceptually with us is is that stuff for me um being a unified front that's upwardly mobile isn't it you know we've we talked at the start about these uh signing players with with the future in mind sort of thing and looking like that's going to pay off or at least having a good idea that that's working and that that strategy is is bearing fruit definitely in terms of raw results and tables if we're not in the top 10 consistently then I think questions will need to be asked about Gary McSheffrey at the very least because I think we've got a squad that I would place in the top 10 comfortably um, even if it is one or two sorts of players sure um, and if we're not in the top 10 going into the second half of the season at least pushing for playoffs I would be thinking about that but that's not to get at him at the minute I think we're off to a decent start um, so my hope is that we compete for promotion we're, we're the modern Doncaster Rovers is not really a fourth tier team in my opinion, in, in everything but reality, of course, because we are. But, um, you know, in terms of resource of the club, capability of the club, reputation of the club, I think I think the third tier is more of our, our level. And I think we need to make sure we don't lower our expectations just because the last 18 months have been yeah. what they have been, you know. I think there's a, I think there's somewhere to... I, th I think you're right. I think you're both right, actually, in everything you, you say. One thing, there's almost like, not a different view, but I'd say a caveat to, to what you're saying there, Adam, I think. And I and I have touched on this in, in the latest issue of the fanzine, as people get it, is that it, it comes into both. Okay, if we, if we don't go up this season, or if we're slow to realise our potential this season and come midway point, we are mid-table, whatever. So long as we can see that, as Mike touched on, you know, the shoots are there, that the, we can see what's, what Rovers are trying to do, I'm perfectly fine with that. And it might be the case that that's what happens. You know, it's, it is a tough division. You mentioned, like, anyone could be anyone in this division. There's not, a, there's not a huge disparity between top and bottom in League Two like there is in, well, certainly in the Championship and, and almost is creeping into League One now with, with teams that are sort of, big teams that are traditional big teams, sorry, that are coming down. League two is much more of a, a muchness. So there is a case that we could be doing everything right, but it might take us a while to, to get results. So we've certainly got a tough run of games early on. So I think my thing is, I think we've got that potential to do well this season, but you can do well in league two by not clicking until February because there's that extra automatic place, there's that extra playoff place. So I think my hope is that all the things you, you've both said there come to fruition. But we give them, as, as supporters and as the club, we give a bit of space to do that. And there's not an element of panic if the end of October, early November, we're 11th, 9th, whatever. Um, so that's what I hope. But, you know, as we say, it's silly days. We'll, we'll see how we go. Um, I mentioned the fanzine there. There's, there's one thing I wanted to touch on, actually. It's, it's a bit different to this. And so... Issue one hundred and nine of of the fanzine is 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 away at the printers as we're as we're talking, um, possibly between printers and recipients. I don't know. I suspect not. They're not the quickest. Bless them. They're good, but they're not the quickest. Um, but Mike, you've one of the pieces you've written for the for the fanzine sheet was uh, this year. This issue is uh, you've done our memorable memorabilia feature, uh, talking about your old Rover shirt. Uh, Midnight is the hoops the jagged hoops seismograph hoops uh what else did you call them uh, zigzagger uh yeah zigzagger yeah, i think is the best yeah yeah so which i thought i thought they were really special to us until you look around and realize that hamilton had exactly the same kit at the same time <laughs> like, oh, it wasn't that special um but what i what i like to you were talking about how obviously the shirt is yours you belong to you but it it's going to get a double meaning this this coming season yeah as so um yeah it was 1994 was my first shirt. I was uh, 12, going on 13 uh, when, uh, when I got that as a, as a bit of an early birthday present at the time. And um, yeah, I've 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 got two sons now. One of whom is is 11, going on 12. So at some point this season, uh, Max will be going to a match wearing that uh, that same shirt that uh, that I wore in my first season with the Rovers. And it's yeah, that, when I, I talked about reconnecting with the club, I think. Um, yeah, that that that's certainly a way that uh, that that I very much feel part of the club, and uh, 
uh, and it's it's been a, a constant in in my life and and unfortunately for him in uh, in my, my oldest son's life and and also I've got the uh, the season's kit for me my youngest uh, youngest son as well who's not even a year old yet so uh, yeah that that's uh, that continuity uh, uh, is it's going to be a a really proud moment sort of walking into the uh, Eco Power Stadium as it is now, or or whatever away ground we happen to be at with, uh, uh, you know, me in uh, my new shirt and uh, and my uh, my lad in the uh, the shirt that I loved so much as as a twelve year old myself. Yeah, I think that's there's a, there's a nice thing I think uh, Lazarus who writes the fanzine has also talked about. He's he's taking his boys to the to the games this season as well. I mean, they they've sort of reached a, an age where. You know they can take it in without having to have a, an iPad thrust in front of them or a bag of sweets uh, chucked down them every every ten minutes to keep them in the seat. So it's yeah, it comes back to that, doesn't it? About you know this is the legacy, and if if you lose that interest, you know Max isn't old enough to head down there on his own just yet, is he? So it, no, he's not. He's not. He loves it. He's, he's, he's football mad. You know he um, he he, uh, he plays for. Uh, Club in Tickhill, and he's uh, you know, he's he lives, eats, and and breathes football, but his, his clubs are over, and um, you know, I, I think he's he's just as excited to uh, to get out there in in that shirt as I am to, to see him in it. So, if you do see someone, uh, a, a fan wandering around in that shirt this season, it's particularly the European car rental one, which is a rarity. Yeah. Uh, it's it's not Mike having had an incredibly impressive fitness pre season <laughs> run. Is actually uh, follows Junior. Um, no, that's great. I really enjoyed getting that getting that piece in the fanzine. So I appreciate you uh, you writing that for us, um, gents. It's been a pleasure. It's nice to talk about Rovers with some optimism, isn't it? It's been a it's been it feels like it's been ages. Um, yeah. But yeah, cheers cheers to you both for joining us. Thank you, Mike. Thanks, Adam. Uh, yeah, absolute pleasure. That's why we're on. Cheers. Cheers, Glenn. Great to be on again. And yeah, it is. It's very nice to look at things a bit more rosily than uh, than we've been able to in the previous uh, recordings. Cool. Let's just hope people listen to this before our next defeat. So there you go. Uh, feel free to, to bookmark that and then come back and haunt us with it in six months' time when uh, when all our predictions have been made to look at best. Uh, misplaced. Um, I mean, I, I will, however, reiterate something I said at the end of that section, and that it really is uh, nice to be talking positively about the Rovers again. Um, and with that positivity comes uh, comes excitement, particularly over the prospect of away days watching the club. Um, so with that in mind, I got older Jack Pete, fanzine regular and author of The Great Pie Vault, to have a chat about making the most of uh, some of Rovers' upcoming away days at Wimbledon, Northampton. You know, for those of us who like a bit more from our afternoons out than a than a part frozen pucker pie and an overpriced instant coffee. Um, so joining me now is is Jack P. Obviously, a long time contributed to the to the podcast and contributed to uh, contributed to the fanzine, of course. Uh, Jack, good to have you back on uh, Podular Stand, mate. It's good to be on, mate. Yeah, always, always a pleasure to be on something that people have long forgotten existed, isn't it? <laughs> one of the reasons for talking to you, Jack, well, one of the reasons is I like your company. The second reason is we're, we're looking ahead to Rovers' uh, upcoming away games. Um, it's a good opportunity to talk about, you know, getting a bit more out of the away day experience. And you have written the perfect accompaniment to that because you put together a book called The Great Pie Revolt, which, which looks at... Um, Places people can go to, particularly with with food and drink in mind ahead of away games, to make them a bit more of a more of a thing. Yeah, I, I think that the footy scram in general is getting a bit more uh, attention at the moment. There's there's a lot around sort of like clubs that are doing it horrendously bad, which is effectively my experience in a lot of grounds and and, and sort of like the inspiration for the book. Um, but I think that there is a little bit of a resurgence in terms of like clubs doing it a little bit better sort of like you know I'm hearing a lot about clubs like Brighton and Hove sort of uh, you know welcoming um local local street vendors into the stadium and 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 people sort of like just thinking a bit differently in terms of like how they how they do match their catering because I think as anyone uh, who who sort of travels regularly to away games will 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 know it's it's usually just the same thing anywhere you go and you've traveled all this way to get sort of like effectively what is the same experience and 
it's sort of like it always struck me as a bit of a shame that and and I think that um, having sort of done it slightly differently in a few uh, places, one of which was with with your good self at Southend. I sort of thought, well, there's something in that and and sort of started rolling it out across clubs and, and you can really sort of enhance the match day experience by sort of like looking at what sets that place apart um, from a local point of view. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's there's so much more to well, to the UK, really, than just that sort of homogenised culture of same old shops, same old um, cafes, same old pubs on the on a high street, which carries on into same old overpriced rollover hot dog in the concession stand, doesn't it? And so it's a it's a celebration of the, the sort of independent places or locally, you know, places that people are very proud of local to their area. Yeah, I, I, and I think that clubs sort of needed to sort of so so most of it is completely homogenized it's sort of um center plate there's this you know three or four operators effectively that, that have, have got within their grasp like you know 75 percent of the clubs that operate in, in the uh, in the football league and what that leads to is just this, the same bland offering but then the, the 25% of clubs that are looking at it differently will find that you will get so much more in terms of like um, bang for the buck out of a spectator if you start doing things slightly differently. But in the meantime, there's just a whole host of sort of like things that you can do uh, around the stadium in that town that just makes that big trip worthwhile. You know, yeah. we're traveling long, long up and down the country, long yards to sort of like get to where we're going. Yeah, no, no one's, no one's on the coach or on the train or on the in the car thinking, oh, I can't wait to get to the ground and get, get struck into, uh, you know, an automatically poured pint of uh, flat yeah. lager. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But there's, there's, there's a lot, there's a lot outside of the ground. Usually, really close, but sometimes just sort of like. You just need to set aside an hour, an hour and a half, and you all of a sudden you sort of like you feel like you're really in that sort of place. Yeah, definitely. So Wimbledon is Rovers' um, well second away game of the season because we we come into the podcast after Bradford. Wimbledon away, we me and you have had a couple of nice sort of days out around the old uh, around their previous ground at Kings Manor. Obviously, prior to the football starting, um, you know, tailed off between three and five pm often, but but on the whole, we've had some good days out down there. <laughs> Wimbledon move grounds now, so it's a bit of a different proposition to to sort of the local area. What are you, where where are you encouraging people to? Uh, let's let's start with the booze. Where are you encouraging people to get a get a decent pint in in, uh, in Wimbledon? Well, actually, just to touch on the, the the former. So what I would do before is is I would really encourage people to go to um, uh, any any pub that's run by the Big Smoke Brewery, and um, and and they 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 still so 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 probably actually as a general sort of like tip here, any pub that serves their beer is 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 in my experience around that pint quite a good one, and and they and they do some really good beer as well. So uh, Big Smoke are based out of Surbiton. Um, uh, it's it's down the road. It's probably a bit too much of a slap to to sort of like do it do it on on, on away days like this. But when they were back in Kings Meadow, yeah, yeah, Kings Meadow, um, it was probably it was probably manageable. But but you still sort of find some of their beer of, uh, around Wimbledon. Um, in in lieu of that, you, there's a really good um, a, a brewery that, that that sort of gives its its name to. So it's the Wimbledon Brewery Company is I think it's within a couple of miles of of, of the new stadium. Um, and it's sort of it's it's one of these ones that's based out of an industrial unit, but um, at the same time, it's it's on a Saturday especially. You've got that great real beer lovers sort of quite spirited um, atmosphere, um, and I think that I I've, I've, I love a few of these 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 industrial unit brewers where you literally the beer's been brewed there and you're sat here, and then there's a load of people around you. You really get to sort of feel feel like you're right within the sort of like production process and stuff like that. Um, and certainly on a nice day, this is a cracking place to go. And I think that looking out my window now, I, I live probably about five miles away from Wimbledon. I think we're in for some good weather. Um, so um, that's that's definitely that's definitely up there. Yeah, you live you live five miles away and crucially one week in the future, which is always handy for, uh, yeah. <laughs> for weather. Yeah, we um, haven't had any rain in a long time. So you sure yeah, that is true. That. Uh, so do you look out for the locals sort of just dancing around, trying to summon the gods, looking to the sky? <laughs> uh, food wise, what does uh, what does Wimbledon offer up? 
Yeah, well, so, so one that I've, I've chucked in here, which is which is a bit left left field, but like you know, if you can get down early enough, um, and you you want you want to sort of like see, there's there's the Wimbledon Commons, which you know, admittedly, you you need to sort of plan your day around, but it's so worthwhile going there. Um, you you'll see a side of London, which which is probably not something that that people talk about too much, which is it's got incredible parks. Um, so, so not only are the the, the, the commons uh, an incredible place at the park, but they've got these windmill tea rooms, which which you're sort of like you always get the sort of uh, you know those those lycra bike brigade that sort of like come through, and you can hear the clippy cloppy of their of, of machines coming through, and it's like yeah, it's it's definitely their their space, but like yeah. you can set yourself aside outside in the middle of Wimbledon Common. At the uh, at the windmill tea rooms and have a really good breakfast. Um, and if you're out for sort of like it's probably if you're out for a day that either you want to sort of like line your stomach ahead of a bit of a session, or you don't want to do a drinking day, you want to do more of a sort of like let's see and sort of like nice place to eat. That is a perfect place to start. And um, and and yeah, somewhere I love going. Yeah, obviously if you if you're eating on Wimbledon Common, your rubbish will be taken care of for you. Don't need to worry about that. Well, um, this is it. Yeah, <laughs> you've soon found it disappeared without even realizing. Um, presumably, this time of year, Wimbledon, a lot of knockoff strawberries and cream being sold out the back of vans as well, and um, <laughs> yeah. people just yeah, yeah. sauntering up to you in the pub. Psst, want to buy? Yeah. Want to buy some strawberries and cream? Mate? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, watch out for that, and and and, and bootleg pims. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> the old bootleg pims is the worst. <laughs> this um, is just right either, mate. <laughs> <laughs> so beyond uh beyond Wimbledon, we've got Northampton coming up at the the end of the month. Uh have I ever told you about when I went to Northampton? The one time I went to Northampton's ground. Um it was a classic, it were um it was a Friday night game years ago. And this is pre-Google Maps. So um coming out of the station, not hundred percent sure which direction the ground is, and I spot a guy you know, claret and white scarf. Fantastic. Let's just follow this guy. He's going to leave me there. So, you know, keep a respectable distance. I've watched uh, TV cop shows. Um, <laughs> sort, of, sort of follow him off down down the roads. And all's going quite well for about 20 minutes uh, until he suddenly makes a sharp left, opens his gate, walks up his path and goes into his house. <laughs> uh, and I'm just sort of left standing in the street in Northampton, not knowing where I am. You, you kids with your with your smartphones, you'll never know that pain. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, something I didn't know until uh, until reading your book is um, Carlsberg were, were based in in Northampton. Not that that's necessarily going to fe- feature in your tips, but it was a surprise well, to me. Well, I'm surprised that you don't know that in, in terms of it's it's this incredible brutalist sort of brewery. Um, and it's it's quite a, a, an interesting place to find yourself. Um, obviously, it's a long time ago. Carlsberg sort of plumped for Northampton as as it's, it's sort of like now features probably alongside your, your Burton's, which has a similar sort of like feel in the book. It's so so so. I, you know, obviously, I've got this big thing about only drink local. But yeah, if you were to go to Burton, you could get away with drinking a Carlin. And if you go to Northampton, you, it's perfectly acceptable to have a Carlsberg too. But uh, yeah, it doesn't it doesn't actually feature in the book in terms of like the, the recommendations uh, side of it. But but it's certainly it's I'd really recommend just sort of like having a detour, go to the river yeah. and you get a good view of it. Then actually, I, I have chucked a, a, a pub uh, in there that's sort of like like right right around the corner um uh, and i think that that's that's uh, uh, you've got you've got the the malt sugar tavern it's this sort of like belgian beer cafe it's one of these places where you really just sort of like feel beer you know it's like uh, you've you, you've seen the brewery um now you're in this this really nice quaint old sort of like pub and yeah, I mean, you're not going to get any Carlsberg in there, but it's it's definitely if you if you if you really like your good beer and your Belgian beer, especially um, that that's good. You'll also sort of like see Oakham's not 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 a million miles away. Obviously, you'll see a lot of that in, in there, and you, you generally see it quite a lot in those parts. Um, and um, and and Hook Norton's another brewery, so there's, there's there's a fair amount of good local beer, and and it's a good place to start in terms of you know getting a feel for the city in terms of the industry that, that sort of like was transported here, um, you know, all those years ago, it, it, it has real pride of place. 
um, and it's a great beer pub. Yeah, it's a good shout as well because I know Thampton, like a lot of dest- football destinations, is because you know because it's a, a new stadium sort of away from the centre, um, like our own, you know, like um, well Oxford, Shrewsbury, you name it. There is a danger to think, ah, there's nothing there. It's just you know, it's just the standard retail outlet, Frankie and Benny's uh, stadium down a hill, load of breeze blocks. So yeah, it's good to think of trying going somewhere different within the town and getting a bit more of an experience of a place and not and not finding yourself think of it as just a retail outlet out of town. Job. Yeah, and I must say, sort of like like it was those sort of towns were the town and those sort of stadiums were the ones that I sort of dreaded um, uh, uh, writing about before because it was precisely that. How you know how do you sort of like. Actually, I found the same, same thing. Of, I went to Scunthorpe last year and sort of like like right with, around the vicinity of the stadium, there's, there's literally oh, everybody drinks in the, the harvester and the, 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 you know, everybody eats in the Frankie and Benny's, like you say. But I, I also sort of thought Scunthorpe's brilliant, you know, actually, like in terms of like if you just literally just go a, a tad bit further that way. Yeah. And it's exactly the same as Northampton. You go a little bit further that way, you're already... I must give a mention as well to to Phipps Brewery, which is sort of like you're in a brewing town and obviously there's one beer that completely dominates, but this is sort of like the little... This is the um, the, the, the Minowas compared to the... It's, they, they, they've got a, the Albion... It's called the Albion Brewery Bar. They've got, they've got a place where that you can go and sort of like sample the full range um, and sort of like if fizzy Dutch Pilsner isn't sort of your thing, then then this this will do you a good pint. Nice one. I, I mean, you've lost points for saying Scunthorpe is brilliant on this podcast. You know, if you say that's, <laughs> that's not allowed. I think I, I think I should I should be given some sort of a medal for comparing Scunthorpe to the sort of like the Amsterdam of, of, of England. Yeah, you said that to me last time, and I I, I presumed it was due to a high number of bicycle thefts. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and a lot of marijuana. Yeah, <laughs> but, but there we go. Food wise, Northampton. There's a claim in here, like you haven't justified it. There's a claim in here that says uh, Northamptonshire produces over 687 million loaves of bread a year, which to me sounds wasteful. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> yeah, you'll get some, uh, talking about, yeah, boot, bootleg strawberries and cream. Just take a pack of lower pack up there and you'll, you'll be fed for years. <laughs> what the stadium's built out of. Yes. <laughs> But yeah, no, something I didn't know either. Uh, and obviously it's uh, William Sitwell who who does MasterChef uh, sort of raised, raised the fact. So it's almost like, you know, we talk about this. It's like, it's like the breadbasket bread of, of, of England. Um, so effectively you will know it for Carlsberg, but really actually it's probably better known from an industry point of view as, as, as a bread making town. And, um, and, and I've, I've chucked in a recommendation in the book in terms of just just going a, a sort of like get a bit of a feel for that which i think is really important um there's a place called the good love uh, and um and you can get some you know you just get your sandwiches you can get panini's you can get actually you know just pick up a loaf for your for your journey home but there's um but but they did great sandwiches so that's where to eat before the game um and and you get a sort of like a vibe for the, the town and sort of like this huge industry that it supports yeah, nice one. I'm looking forward to pictures of the rows away under that day. People just waving loaves in the air. Oh, God, yeah, bring them on. It could be the new thing. It should, Northampton should adopt it, like Grimsby did with Inflame Addicts years ago. The Bredman. Yeah. Less puns than cobblers as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Lends itself to more positive news. Um, great stuff, man. Thank you for that. Um, hopefully people will take a couple of those those tips on board when they're, when they're planning their upcoming away days. I think we'll probably come back to you with some uh, recommendations in future future episodes as well, mate. Just to help your royalties stick along till Christmas, you know. <laughs> I'm always here for it. And, and, and yeah, I mean, on a serious note, any, I love getting pictures of people going to... And like you, you like you, you, you've you've sent me a few on your on your travels, and it's always nice to sort of like see people in the places that that are sort of featured in there. And uh, and 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 actually, you know, obviously, it's great to sell a few books, but it's great to support local businesses too. And and you'll find that the, the lion's share of outlets that, that are featured in the book will be independent, they'll be local, and 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 certainly um, will be welcoming of uh, of your support on a match day. So that's where they're there. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I can fully vouch for that, except for one of the pubs you recommend in Fleetwood, which I certainly won't vouch for. But beyond that, 
everything else in there, I'm sure, is incredibly welcoming. Fleet was um, enough. Mm, you're edging into that Scunthorpe claim territory, <laughs> uh, but thankfully not as not as blasphemous. Mate, it's been an absolute pleasure, and uh, yeah, we'll speak to you again soon. Great, thanks for having me on. That then is your lot for episode 24 of Podulistan. Thank you for listening. Um, as ever, we do want to hear your feedback, so do let us know your thoughts either via Twitter at, uh, at Viva Rovers or via email to popularstand at outlook.com. Um, and also, if you do have a bit of time, please you know leave us a nice review on the podcast platform on which you choose to listen. Um, one last thing from me, and that is to say that issue 109 of Popular Stand Fanzine is hot off the press and uh, currently winging its way to our subscribers due to appear on your doormats imminently. Um, if you're not a subscriber but you would like to read the zine, uh, then get in touch at Viva Rovers or via the email address I said previously, as we might have one or two spare copies available for you to order. Um, but yeah, that's it for now. I'll be back with a new episode at the start of next month. But until then, see thee.